this is tongue in cheek. Thank you for laughing. Um, well, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Touche. Um, but we're going to look at some pretty heavy uh, comments today in Malachi, um, dealing with divorce, dealing with um, interreligious marriages, um, dealing with some of these things that um, I, I heard one pastor introduced this passage, and he said, this is one of the most difficult passages uh, in the Old Testament. Um, not because it's really all that hard to understand. There is, um, as we go through, you'll see some differences between what our ESV has, and if you have the NASB, or particularly the King James, you'll see some differences, differences in the translation, because the Hebrew is notoriously difficult uh, in some of these places. Um, but it's really difficult because it speaks of something that is so fundamental to who we are and something that is so highly disregarded in our culture, this idea of the covenant of marriage uh, and the emphasis that the Lord places on marriage and on, on the family unit. And it's something that in many ways has, has touched a lot of our lives. I come from uh, a home where my parents are divorced. Uh, many folks in the congregation might, and, and we've got uh, sort of different people coming in, in different life experiences and bringing all of that uh, to God's word, but I think it's all the more reason that we ought to hear exactly what Malachi has to tell us today, um, and, uh, and to hear it for, for what he says, for what the Lord tells us about marriage and divorce, for what uh, he tells us about the importance of these things and holding them in high esteem, um, and so just a sort of a warning, um, I think the catchphrase would be trigger warning, um, but, but I'm not into that catchphrase. So, um, but uh, just to say that there are some heavy things in this passage that, uh, that could uh, touch us in a lot of different ways, and I think that's a good thing. We're going to be reading today Malachi chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 10. We're going to read uh, through verse 16. Now, the other uh, caveat is that last week I laid out my plan for the rest of the spring, and uh, it only takes one week, and I think we're already going to deviate from that. If we get through the issues of marriage and divorce, we are going to press on into chapter uh, the end of chapter 2, verse 17, and into chapter 3, but I don't think we're going to get there. So just a heads up, we're probably just going to deal with uh, chapter 2, verses 10 through 16 today. Uh, I'm going to open in prayer, and then we are going to look at those uh, passages together. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh Lord our God, we thank you that you are true. And even if every man should be a liar, oh Lord, you are faithful, you are just. You are true to your word and to your covenant commitments. You are the one who is utterly faithful, uh, while we in so very many ways are faithless. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us as we read your word not to uh, so glibly look down our noses at others who might fall into some of these sins that are listed here. Uh, we pray that we would not uh, look back on a different time and, and think that we have advanced beyond uh, the standards that you have set for your people. We pray that you would not allow us the, the blindness uh, to think that we are impervious against the assault of sin and against hearts that go astray after the wrong things. I pray that as you expose the sins of your people in Israel, you would expose the sins of the Israel of God, your people now, your covenant community. We pray that we would see the emphasis that you put on marriage. We pray that we would come away with a, an understanding of how you hate divorce. And we pray that you would give us uh, a desire to have our marriages and, and our families in our midst built up uh, and our own covenant community in, uh, encouraged 
uh, and, and edified because of the families that are present among us. Oh Lord, we pray that you would give us soft hearts uh, and open ears to hear your word today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here now, Malachi chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 10, reading through verse 16. <clears throat> Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who hates and divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. We're going to stop there thus far, uh, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. May he add uh, a blessing to it. Now we are uh, returning in this passage. The first thing that you notice uh, transitioning, if you were with us last week, we were talking about the sins of the priests in particular. And uh, just to give a, a quick overview, the, the problem with the priests is that they were not holding to the standards of law that the Lord had given the people. Particularly, they were not holding to the standards of law that the Lord had given them in terms of worship and sacrifice. And so they were lowering those standards to make things more comfortable for themselves and more comfortable for the people around them. So they would tell the people, well, uh, you're going to kill that, uh, that blind sheep anyway. Why don't you bring that blemished animal and, and bring and sacrifice it, and, uh, and we can all have a little feast together. It made it uh, more palatable for the people, literally and figuratively, uh, that they would bring things that were less valuable to them. It, it, it uh, allowed them a lower standard of coming and worshiping the Lord. And it was all about uh, what the priests were doing in lowering God's standards for the people. Uh, and as uh, Malachi transitions... Uh, into this next section, we, we've got these six disputations. Um, he begins um, with a lot of the very same language that he used in the previous section. You notice that he's talking about the sanctuary. Uh, he's talking about the altar. He's talking about profaning. He's talking about abominations. He's talking about a lot of these things that we would think of in terms of worship language, that this is a worship problem. And yet he's not talking to the priests anymore specifically. I think maybe he is also talking to the priests. But he's widened the scope. The Lord is now speaking through his prophet to the entire people. And he's saying that just as the prophets were lowering the standards to make things easier for themselves and to indulge in things that were uh, more palatable, more enjoyable, so also you're doing the same thing. But it's not a problem of their worship, uh, but rather of their relationships problem of their marriages, the problem of the way that they are going astray. They are uh, they're changing God's demands in two ways, uh, and this is the way that the, the passage breaks down. You can see it pretty clearly. Uh, verses 10 through 12, 
the first problem that he's dealing with is this idea of, uh, of interreligious marriage. You see it there, and we'll look at it in a little bit, uh, that uh, Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. So the first problem that is happening in Israel is not a new one. We have seen this all throughout the Old Testament. You see this also in the contemporaries of Malachi and uh, in Ezra and in Nehemiah. They dealt uh, with the people who came out of Babylon uh, and almost with a new fervor began to intermarry with the people of the land. And perhaps we'll be able to talk about why they might have done that and, and what the motivation was behind it. But this is the first problem that uh, that Malachi is addressing. He's saying to the people, you are lowering God's standards by intermarrying with people who do not claim the Lord Yahweh as the God uh, over all the earth. Instead, they are idolaters, and you're joining with them, uh, and their idolatrous practices are drawing you away into false worship. And then the second problem, uh, verses 13 uh, through 16, uh, is interrelated, but it's, it's the problem of being faithless uh, to the wife of your youth, of putting away. Uh, and, and perhaps we'll be able to talk about the motivations here as well. Um, but I want you to see, as we begin, just some, uh, before we open up the discussion, just a, a few introductory comments. That What you see is that the Lord has been talking about worship, and he continues to talk about worship, and continues to use worship language, even though he's not talking specifically about what happens in the temple. Perhaps that's what he's talking about in verse 13, uh, but he's talking about the sanctuary, about, about uh, profaning things, about abominations. This is, this is religious language, uh, and he is, he's confronting the people over their, uh, their personal relationships. I think this is the biggest challenge for us, uh, that when we look at what we're to think of marriage, what we're to think of the family, uh, what we're to think of God's standards for those that we marry and the way that we uh, continue in our marriage covenants, we need to think first uh, that, that it's not something that we can separate into some sort of hermetically sealed chamber where, well, I've got my religious life over here uh, and I've got my family life over there. Instead, the Lord is connecting these. And the way that you interact in your family life uh, makes a big difference in your religious life. In fact, it goes beyond that. Notice that, that he's talking in terms of covenant community, especially in these first uh, few verses, and that is because the Bible holds the family as the basic building block of society. You can take it all the way back uh, in the garden in Genesis, and the very first institution the Lord gives before uh, there was sin, before uh, there was a particular people, he gave it to all nations and to all ethnicities and all peoples all over the world, the Lord has given marriage to be the primary foundational building block of society. And the Lord is coming against his people now, and no wonder their own society, their own worship is eroding, well, because they uh, are eroding uh, this institution of marriage that the Lord has given them. I think it's, it's not a far cry to say that we see the same thing uh, happening in our own culture. Uh, I'm uh, not old enough to be uh, the fuddy-duddy pastor who can say, well, back in my day when I was, no, 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 this is, this is the culture I've grown up in, uh, where no-fault divorce is, is just uh, the thing that happens, uh, and, and the idea of, uh, of uh, a divorce being the result of sin rather than a difference of opinion, uh, that's simply not the way our culture approaches it. And more and more, that's the same thing that happens in the church, uh, and we're lowering God's standards uh, and replacing the things that are comfortable for us instead. And so let, let's look at these standards that the Lord gives and, and the way that he speaks uh, of this, uh, this religious problem in a family problem 
And we'll, we'll divide it in those two sections, verses 10 through 12, uh, and also verses uh, 13 through 16. Now, um, what do you notice, uh, other than perhaps what I've, what I've already mentioned, um, in verses 10 through 16, what jumps out at you, what, what, um, what grabs you in this passage uh, to help you understand what God is, is thinking and how he's approaching the issue uh, of this interreligious marriage that he's dealing with? What are some of the, the catchphrases or the, the important terms we need to define? John? Yeah, I'm curious too. Hold on to that. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, this is the other reason that this passage is difficult because there are some things in here that make us go, uh, what? Um, and, and just, I think we're, we're, we're not used to thinking in these terms. Um, so we'll get to that. We're, we're looking right now at the first few verses. Uh, so hold on to that thought, John. So in, in the first section, when God's dealing with this issue of interreligious marriage, uh, what are some of the terms we need to define, the things that help us understand what God is thinking? I saw Tim first and then Ronnie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's exhausting. Um, uh, the commentaries on this, uh, normally I would say exhaustive, but exhausting is a better way to put it. Um, the, the text itself is just hard um, because uh, this is, uh, Hebrew is sometimes laconic as it is. Uh, they'll leave out verbs, main verbs, and you have to infer what's going on. Uh, and so in, um, for example, in verse 16, uh, you see that's where some of the, the footnotes show up. Uh, the ESV has, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. Who's got uh, the King James? Tim, what do you got for that one? Verse uh, 16. Uh, chapter 2, verse 16, yes. Okay. Yeah, so uh, some of it is... Um, I don't remember exactly the, the phrasing of the Hebrew, but it basically is um, the one hating, the one putting away, says the Lord, divorce. Uh, it, it's, it's a bunch of uh, things strung together, and uh, I assume that Malachi knew exactly what was going on. I assume that the people heard. Uh, the idea, though, is that, that um, the main point is not in question. The main point of that verse, whether we interpret it as uh, the classic God hates divorce, or whether he's saying divorce uh, is a hating of. It, it's, whether it's, it's God saying he hates any and all divorce, or whether he's saying, uh, I hate when you put away your wife uh, just because you're tired of her. That's, that's the other interpretation. Uh, because, of course, Deuteronomy 24, uh, and this is what the Pharisees raised to Jesus in the New Testament, there are lawful reasons for divorce. Uh, now, um, the question is whether... Uh, how we're interpreting that, and yeah, this is, this is difficult, but the main idea uh, is very clear um, that, that divorce is a tragedy either way, this idea of covering your garment with blood, whether, um, whether uh, divorce for, for any grounds uh, or, or simply because you hate your wife uh, and put her away because you're tired of her, uh, the, the main idea, I think, is clear, but yes, the, the text itself is, uh, is scattered. Uh, Tim, and then back up to Ronnie. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, a- absolutely. And so, however we interpret it, the, the picture is clear um, that divorce is always a tragedy. Always a tragedy. It always uh, is the result of sin. Um, whether the sin of, of thinking too little of marriage, whether the sin of infidelity that leads to lawful divorces, whether the sin of abandonment that, uh, that Paul cites in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the reality that we have to... to come up against here, I think uh, Malachi is beginning to give us some of it, is that divorce is never best, uh, and it is never sinless. This idea of a no-fault divorce is not the way that the Lord approaches divorce. Uh, the, the dissolution of a covenant bond uh, is always a sinful tragedy. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie, uh, back up to you. Yes, the original, <laughs> the original question, what are the terms we need to define? What are the things that help us understand the way the Lord is approaching this issue in verses 10 to 12? Okay. Yes. Yes. Now, um, this, is, this is not... Uh, um, in terms of faith and the way that we use that, obviously this isn't talking about what you believe, but it's talking about what you do. Uh, so you, you act out this faithlessness. You, you are faithless, it says in verse 10, faithless to one another. Uh, verse 11, Judah has been faithless. Um, is there another one in that section? Yeah, and, and, uh, and there are a few more. So that, in fact, that same language carries through to that second section. So they, they are overlapping. Um, but it's this idea, what's the problem? It is, um, it is breaking fidelity one with another. It is, uh, it is hypocrisy, in a sense. It is making commitments and then breaking those commitments. It's going back on, on what you said you ha- would have done. Yeah, Cynthia. Now, here is uh, one of these issues that we, we need to zero in on, um, because the question is, well, which covenant? Um, we've seen over and over again in the prophets that the whole basis for their ministry is the covenant obligations the Lord has given to his people. Um, but this uh, is, notice the, notice the horizontal aspect of this whole passage, right? The, these first few verses. It's not just that you've been faithful to the Lord, uh, but verse 10, why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? And so there are a lot of different ideas uh, as to how the covenant plays in. Any, any suggestions? What covenant might Malachi, might the Lord have uh, in, in mind here? John? Okay. Yep. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, that, that is a great um, parallel passage on lots of different levels. Um, especially this idea, uh, Tim raised the idea of covering your garment in blood. And it's in Ezekiel, one of the passages um, where it's Ezekiel chapter 16, which you're, you're referencing, verse 8. It says, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. So here is a covenant that the Lord is, is saying he has with his people. Um, and I think he's, he's obviously referencing uh, the covenant in the past, whether it's uh, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant at Sinai, uh, some other covenant administration of those. Uh, the Lord is saying, this is what it looks like, uh, and, and here's what my relationship with you is like. It's like a marriage, and this idea of I spread my garment over you. This garment is, is supposed to be uh, a covering, a protection, uh, a blessing upon his people. And he spreads his garment over them and separates them. And this is exactly what, what we're getting at. And this is, this is a great parallel here. Um, that, uh, that the idea of God's covenant to his people was meant to make them particular, to set them apart from the nations. But as Ezekiel 16 goes on, as John has already told us, um, the problem was that they went after the nations around them. Now, Ezekiel does begin to talk about uh, a new covenant, I don't think that, uh, that that's the covenant that, that Malachi, the new covenant, I don't think that's the covenant he has in mind here. He's talking about one that has come already and one that is being profaned, not one that will not be profaned. Um, but good, good. What other covenants might come into play in God's promises uh, dealing with his people? Ronnie and then Tim. All right. <laughs> that's okay, that's all right. Yeah. Let's turn, um, although you know it, but it'll be helpful just to see it. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 19. Uh, this will be Exodus chapter 19. Um, oh, where did it go? Um, Verse uh, 4 through 6. Ronnie, could you read those for us? That's fine. Okay. So this is what we might call a... Uh, an introductory, uh, a preamble, really, to God's covenant. He's about to give them the covenant of Sinai that begins uh, in chapter 20 with the Ten Commandments and goes through uh, a lot of the rest of the Pentateuch where God gives all of his commandments. Really, there's a, between chapter 19 and chapter 24, uh, chapter 24 in Exodus is when the people say, yes, we'll do all that the Lord has commanded, and they sprinkle blood upon the people, and, and the covenant is ratified, but all the details come later. But this is how the Lord begins the Sinai covenant. He says, here's what I've done. I've brought you to myself, and I've done it for the purpose of setting you apart, of having a particular people, a, a holy nation, a, a, a separate people. Uh, and this forms some of the backbone of the rest of uh, of the new, uh, rest of the Old Testament, rather. You see it 
Uh, we won't turn there, in, but in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the people are about to go into the promised land, and it uses much of the same language, uh, and specifically forbids them from making uh, marriage alliances with the people of the land. Deuteronomy chapter 7 is where the Lord shows up and says, I, I've called you, I've set you apart, I'm going to send you into the land, and when you go into the land, destroy these people. Don't make alliances with them. Don't make covenants with them. Don't take their daughters for your sons. Don't give your sons to their daughters. Don't, uh, don't make any sort of alliance with them because uh, you will be led astray and you will let, be led into false worship. And that's the reason. He doesn't want his, uh, his people, the holy worship of his people, to be profaned as we're seeing here. Good. Tim, were you going to add to that? Yes, yes, and, sorry, go ahead. Yes. Absolutely. So here, between these, these references, I think we're getting a, a sense for it. Some others will point to the covenant with Abraham, um, but it's a lot of the same language where the Lord shows up and he says, I'm going to be God to you and to your children after you. And in fact, in verse uh, Malachi chapter 2, uh, verse 10 says, have we not all one father? There's a difference among the commentators. Some think that father refers to God uh, of Israel, as he said. Uh, to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Um, but some of the older commentators, maybe more reliable, um, thought that it was talking about Abraham. And so there's some idea of, of Abraham's covenant here where the Lord says, I'm setting you apart. And if, if you will not be a part of my covenant people, you will be cut off. Notice that you see the same thing at the end of verse 12. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So in the Abraham covenant, the Lord shows up. He says, I will be God to you and to your people. I'll give you my covenant sign. You will be separate. Uh, and if you will not receive these obligations, I will cut you off. And so now in Malachi, he says, we have one father. And we're profaning the covenant of our fathers. And we're being faithless not just to our wives, but to one another. We're breaking faith within the covenant community. And it ends with that same malediction. Anyone who does this, uh, has brought shame upon the community and will be removed. That same uh, covenant promise from, from circumcision. Good. The commentators were no help, uh, other, than, other than giving us lots of parallel passages this week. Um, this is another one of, you know, when you, when you see the prophets throwing around covenant language, as they always do, they are tying their message to the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, and this is one of the things, we could, we could go down rabbit trails all day long, uh, and I think that's a good thing. Um, and so the, the commentators are split on that one as well. When it says... Uh, they have profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. Um, the word for sanctuary um, is that which is holy, the, the Lord's holiness. Um, and then it modifies that 
Judah has profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loves, and has married a daughter of a foreign god. The question is, are we talking about the sanctuary that stands as a temple, as a place, or are we talking about the people as the sanctuary? Um, and I'm happy for you to go either way on that. Um, there, there is some more temple language here, um, but, but I think it, uh, it holds some weight to think that the Lord is talking about his holy ones whom he loves. His heart is breaking uh, because he sees his children marrying after uh, families where they worship other gods uh, and the worship of his people and the, the society of Israel is being eroded step by step and marriage by marriage. And so they've, they've profaned perhaps the, uh, the physical sanctuary of the Lord, but they have profaned also the, the sanctuary of the people uh, where God gathers, where he, uh, he is among his people. Good. John. Yeah, I think the point is well made, um, but the retort is, well, it happens all the time, right? Um, and so here is, here is something that we need to remember. Here's something for you young people to remember who are home from your semester in college and thinking about uh, the future. Um, who should you marry? Is this something from a bygone era that, you know, back in the day of Malachi, that was something the Lord cared about, but now we're not talking in terms of, ethnic Israel versus other nations, right? You can marry whoever you want. You can have a, you can have a nice uh, union with, with whoever. Uh, that is not the position of the New Testament, certainly. Um, Tim raised the idea of, of the difference between ethnic boundaries versus theological boundaries. And this is, yeah, Malachi is not saying the reason you shouldn't uh, marry Canaanites is because their skin tone is different than yours or, or whatever other differences might have been between uh, the Israelites and the Canaanites. It is the problem of Solomon, that he took foreign wives and the Lord said in 1 Kings 11, you shall not do this because they will lead your heart astray uh, to whore after their gods. And so you've got, uh, you've got Ruth, who is acceptable, even though she was a Moabitess of the, the cursed people, uh, the Moabites, because she became a follower and a, and a worshiper of the Lord. Uh, and, and so when you, when you go into the New Testament, the, the same... Uh, standard applies, uh, that in Christ there is no Jew nor Greek, uh, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And so we're not talking in, in terms of ethnic barriers to marriage, but we are talking in terms of religious barriers to marriage. Now let's take a look in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. Interestingly, Corinthians, 1st and 2nd, uh, have a lot to say about this issue. 
in 1 Corinthians 7, but we're going to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do I get somebody to read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 uh, through chapter 7, verse 1? Tim, thank you. Thank you. All right, so John poses to us the question, how could somebody do this? It is very clear in Malachi, it is very clear in the New Testament uh, that believers ought not to be joined, unequally yoked, says Paul, uh, to unbelievers. And so we pose the question to you, why does this happen? Don't be afraid of the obvious answer. Sex and lust. Sex and lust. I mean, that's, that's one, you know? Um, one, of the, one of the commentators was, was dealing with this question, why did Israel do this? Why were they intermarrying with the nations around them? Well, for sex, uh, and for money, uh, and for power. Um, in Malachi's day, it was, was maybe a combination of all of these things. That's how you made alliances in the ancient world. You got married. We don't think of marriage as a, as a political alliance so much anymore, uh, of joining of, of families in that way. But, but yeah, it's, it's what appeals to our senses. Yeah. This person's close at hand, and I, you know, here I am waiting for this, this great godly Christian man to come along, and he's not showing up. Better, better to just go and, and marry somebody else, and maybe I can have an influence on him. Right? Ronnie? And then, back, go ahead. I'm sorry, Alicia. I know you. I know your name, but I just, I just blanked. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. Yes. Yeah, I think that's perceptive, that last phrase, through her relationship with her mother-in-law. Um, 
that, that it was Naomi that she was clinging to when she left, and there was, I forget her other name now. I'm, I'm not doing well with names today. Uh, but the other wife, Morpa, thank you. Uh, Orpa said, no, 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 all right, see ya. I'm going back to the Moabites. Uh, I'm going to find a husband from somebody else. And it was Ruth's comment that, no, I will go with you. Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And so she is joining herself to Israel. Um, and and it, it is, in some sense, a marriage of convenience. Um, but don't forget what the, the purpose was. It wasn't just to make a political alliance. She was actually... Um, she was honoring the dead as an Israelite should. She went to Boaz so that Boaz would raise up descendants for the deceased, which is what the covenant community was supposed to do. It wasn't just, well, here's this Moabite woman, and, and here's a good way to, to get in good with the Moabites. No, she has left the Moabites. She has joined herself to Israel, and she's trying to do good according to God's standards. And so this is a, this is a wonderful thing that she should do this and saw this as, uh, as part of what God had given to bless the community. This, uh, this, far from being just a political alliance, it was part of uh, God establishing his people and, and helping them to grow and continue in the land. Yes, sorry. Yes. Yes, yes, I think that is true. I think the original marriage to, uh, I'm sorry, I missed your point. Uh, the original marriage to, to Ruth was most likely out of convenience. Yeah. And, and remember, the story begins with a famine in the land. And so instead of staying in the land uh, and the Israelites banding together and caring for one another, uh, here is this people who has decided to go outside of the covenant community uh, for the things that they need, including taking daughters for their, uh, for their sons. Yeah, and it, it was originally a marriage of convenience. You're right. So I, I saw Tim and then John. Yeah, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Uh, let's, let's keep moving. Uh, so what do you want to say about verse 13, Tim? Seeing on the precipice there. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, a different idea, uh, which I don't agree in, uh, agree with, um, was to say that the tears covering the altar are the tears of the wives who have been put away. But that's, that's not what's going on. I think you're, you're spot on here. Um, they, have, they have gone after um, alliances with other nations, interreligious marriages. They have been affected by the religion of other marriages and, and marriage to other people. Uh, and now their worship is starting to reflect that with this shallowness. Uh, why isn't the Lord um, answering our, our pleas and our cries? And they look at their lives, and they, they say, well, either um, we can do one of two things. We can either right our moral ship, or we can pour a little bit more ceremony into our worship. And that's the easy thing to do. That's what all the nations have taught them how to do. Uh, you know, you, you see um, Baal worship on the mountain. They're cutting themselves, and, you know, and 
And he's there. Well, maybe he's on vacation. Uh, maybe he's relieving himself. That's one of my favorite lines in the Old Testament. Maybe your God is relieving himself uh, because he's just mocking them. But they're, they're cutting themselves, and they're, they're trying to pour more emotion into their worship in this effort of having a God come to them. And, and the practices of the nations have, have come into Israel. And so there is, a, there is a connection between this first problem of interreligious marriage, going after the, the gods of the other nations, and the second problem of putting away the wife of one's youth. And this is where the Lord begins to talk about violence. He talks about uh, bloodshed and covering your garment with blood. Uh, and it is this idea, you say, why does he not accept uh, our offering from our hand? And then the answer, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Yes. So this is the idea that the, the Lord is holding his people accountable uh, for, for the problem of their uh, unlawful divorces. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go to Scott and then over to John. Yes. Right, and there's a beautiful parallel in the beginning of um, Isaiah with this idea of your hands being stained with blood and yet you continue to bring more and more offerings and more and more sacrifices, thinking that that's the issue. Thinking that if you just worship a little bit more uh, fervently, then the Lord will hear you and will accept you. And the Lord is saying, no, no, you, your hands are stained with blood. And the same thing is here. Uh, why doesn't he accept us? Well, because you're, you've been faithless to the wife of your youth. Even though the Lord was witness with you in that covenant, the Lord was there and, and joined you together. Yeah. Now, back to John. Okay. No, absolutely. That's a, that's a great contrast. Good. All right, John. Uh, so let's get back to your earlier question. We've made it to verse 15. Um, what does it mean that the Lord made them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Any ideas? Tim, help us out here. Yeah, it's this idea when, when you go all the way back. Um, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, notice um, if you were to take it all the way back into Genesis, 
um, and you were to look at the creation of Eve, there's a, a very important phrase where it says, and the Lord God brought her to him. And it's this idea of it was the Lord's initiative uh, that brought the people together uh, and brought the first couple together. And that sets the standard for marriage. That is the Lord that brings them together. That is the Lord that, that unites them. And it's not a covenant that you can, you can simply throw off anytime you want. And this is the problem uh, with the Pharisees in, in Matthew chapter 19. Can a man put off his wife for any reason, they said. Well, well no, uh, not for any reason. For some reasons, uh, there, there are reasons. Um, but they had come to the point where uh, it had been um, just something that you cast off. It's not something that you pay much attention to, and the same thing uh, happens in our culture. Any other ideas? This idea of the Lord making them one with a portion of his spirit. Bill and then Chris. Absolutely. Yeah, this idea that, um, that the Lord binds them together. Uh, there is a passage that's often read at, um, at weddings, although it wasn't originally a wedding passage, um, but it is uh, about the three-strand cord that is not easily broken. Uh, but there's a lot, I think, to, to commend that to being a marriage passage, this idea that the strongest marriages are the ones that are... Um, that are modeled after Christ because Christ is in them. There is uh, the command in Ephesians chapter 4, therefore be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Um, would that our marriages would look like that when, when we have the spirit prompting husbands and wives in the church to be forgiving of one another rather than to come to a point where we say, you have wronged me and I have to walk away because of a difference of opinion. That's not a light thing, and I don't mean uh, to make light of anyone's marriage difficulties. We realize that, that marriage is hard. Anybody who's married in this room knows that, uh, but uh, there is this idea that, that the Lord supplies not only the command for marriage, but he supplies the spirit for marriage between believers, that we can, we can have a marriage uh, with our spouses that, uh, that transcends what the unbeliever can have. And again, that, that's not flippant. There are unbelievers with quote-unquote good marriages. Uh, and yet, when the Holy Spirit is involved uh, in uniting two people together and making their hearts tender toward one another, this is the marriage that fosters not only the, the growth together in the Lord, but the growth of, the Lord says, godly offspring. This is the home you want your children to be raised in, uh, where the, the Spirit is, uh, is showing forth uh, the gospel through the husband and the wife and uniting them together in this covenant bond that says, uh, even though uh, you have sinned against me and, and 70 times seven, yet uh, will I forgive you because Christ, uh, God in Christ has forgiven me and his spirit dwells in me. I saw Chris and then uh, up to Scott.
Yes. Right, and you see that in the Old Testament here in Malachi. You see it in the New Testament uh, in Ephesians 5, uh, in, uh, in Colossians chapter 3, in the other household codes of the New Testament. There is always a delineation. It, it lays out what is the household unit. It begins uh, with the husband and wife, and then the children, and then the servants at that time. Uh, and it's really talking about uh, the way that this first primary covenant sets the stage for all these other ones to fall into their proper order. Uh, and so it, it is much more than just uh, who's this person that you're with? Who, who do you like? Who do you fancy? Uh, it is really when we're thinking of marriage in terms of part of God's covenant community, uh, it, is, it is this foundational building block. Good. And then I saw Scott. Yep. Yeah, and just the realization, um, thank you for, for drawing that connection. Uh, it goes immediately from the first marriage, and they became uh, one flesh, and they were both naked and not ashamed, um, to the fall in the garden and their immediate recognition of their sin. And so the, the other uh, side of this is that even the best Christian marriages are marriages between two sinners. Uh, and, uh, and we need to reconcile with the fact um, that sin infiltrates every aspect of our lives, um, which is exactly why, and I'll, I'll get to Brian, and then there was another one, no, which is exactly why um, verse 15, and then it's repeated again in verse uh, 17, uh, 16 rather, uh, notice that it says, so guard yourselves in your spirit. You've been treacherous. So the, the admonition is, so guard yourselves in your spirit. And then you see it again uh, at the end. And so guard yourselves in your spirit 
that none of you be faithless. It is this idea uh, of, you know, think of, of Proverbs chapter 4. Above all else, guard your heart, for from, for from it flow all the springs of life. Um, this, this idea that you're in a covenant community, you're in a covenant bond with a spouse, um, and the, you know, we're tempted to say, what causes quarrels and fights among you, brethren? Well, it's the woman you put here with me. <laughs> we're tempted to do what Adam did. Um, and, and Malachi, I think as well as the rest of, uh, of the scriptures would tell us, oh no, we, we have seen the enemy and, and it is me. Um, it is us. Uh, to, to look first and say, where have I faulted uh, in this disagreement? Brian. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it is this very uh, emphatically religious statement, right? Um, that uh, I, I like that point you're making that... Um, it's not like they were, they were marrying really devout Canaanites, right? <laughs> they, they weren't even devout in their own standards. And, and so what you see, and, and if you've, you've watched it happen, um, this sort of evangelistic dating when a, when a teenager goes off to college and, and there aren't Christian men or women available. And well, I can, have, I can have an influence and maybe one out of a thousand times it happens. Uh, but you, you watch, um, necessarily, everything flows like water to the lowest possible level. It, it seeks the lowest level. And so if you're, if you're sharing your, your most intimate thoughts and feelings and, and your experiences in life with other people who yeah, really just don't care about religion uh, all that much, no, no matter whether it's Christian or whatever, um, then, then you sort of meet at that low point together. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it's really interesting when you, when you compare Second uh, Corinthians 6, where Paul talks about do not be unequally yoked, don't do all these things, don't um, you compare that with, with 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He's talking about don't associate with the immoral and the ungodly. I'm not talking about the immoral and the ungodly in the world, because then you'd have to go out of the world. And he realizes that that's untenable. And so in, in one sense, he says, you must be separate, you must be distinct and holy, and yet he realizes you're in the world. It's not as, he's not calling us to set up some sort of 
um, you know, clandestine Christian nation where, where here we are and we've got our fences and, and nobody else can be a part of our club. Uh, but he's, he's recognizing that in, in your most fundamental alliances, your, your covenants with one another, your, your marriages, you ought to only choose those who share the same faith. Um, I heard Kevin DeYoung. This will be the last thought. Um, I heard Kevin DeYoung. Um, we'll get to, maybe we'll get John. Um, I heard Kevin DeYoung talking about um, marriage one time, and he, he said something very uh, insightful. Um, he was talking about a woman... Um, who, uh, who wanted to get married to an unbeliever because she was so lonely. And the, the fact of the matter is that it happens. Christian uh, people sometimes feel so lonely that they feel they have no other option. And so we'll, we'll uh, seek out those things. And he says, um, he got it from someone else, and I don't remember. He said, uh, you, you know no loneliness um, quite so lonely as being united to someone else with whom you do not share the most basic understanding of life. It is not a solution to your loneliness uh, to seek out one who, who disagrees religiously and is not a believer. It is a perpetuation of your loneliness. It is further isolation, uh, and it is, is further uh, removing from uh, some real helpful bond in life. John, really quickly. <laughs> Okay. Sure. Thanks, John. Yeah, no, uh, let's pray. That, I'm just going to, that'll be the last word. That'll be good. Uh, let's pray because we, we need to, I've taken up too much time. Gracious Lord, thank you for the wisdom of your word. We pray that you would give us soft hearts to hear it, to receive it, uh, to obey you through it. Uh, give us your spirit, O oh Lord. Uh, help us to be faithful uh, to one another, to your commandments uh, and, and to our spouses. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.